And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good. And all the time. If you're walking in the valley, there are shadows all around, do not fear. Fear is an amazing emotion. And God created fear in us as an emotion in order that we may fear God. But we inverted it like sin does with everything else. We fear man and not God. And I've been thinking about this all week, of course, and, and, and I, I discovered something I did not know before. I knew there are a lot of superstitious people who are afraid of the day Friday the 13th. I've seen that all over the world, actually, not just here in the West. And there's a name for it, actually. It's called Treskade Echephobia. It just means the fear of number 13. Uh, I also discovered uh, that there are certain fears, certain phobia that is actually recognized. Uh, I don't know about those who are not recognized, but the hydrophobia is the fear of water. Claustrophobia is the fear of being closed in. Uh, acrophobia is the fear of height. And then there is another fear that I really did not know about until this week. It's called phobophobia. <laughs> I kid you not. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. It is recognized fear, and it is the fear of fear. And that's why it's called that way. And I think this is really the type of fear that you hear about, hear about, heard about this morning as David was reading the Scripture. That is the fear of fear that Saul and his armies were experiencing at this challenging time when they were facing this giant gorilla. Uh, so I hope you have 1 Samuel 17 open in front of you because that's what I will be doing. But before I get there, I want to tell you something very important. Listen to me very carefully. There is no such thing as a fearless person. If you got that, say amen. amen. There's no such a thing. It doesn't exist. Uh, the only uh, difference that you find is between those who take counsel of their fears and those who refuse to do so. The only difference, there's no such thing as fearless person, but the difference is with those who allow fear to possess them and those, by the power of God, overwhelm their fears. There is a difference between those who allow their fears uh, to hold them in chains and those who allow the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in every believer to break those chains of fear. Someone said fear is the only thing that multiplies faster than rabbits. And it is. It is contagious. And you see how it happens. Even you see it in the, in the stock market. The moment of fear that grips one person, and, 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 and they all basically get, they get into that frenzy, and, and they react in fear. And the only antidote, my beloved friends, that I know, as a man who've experienced all kinds of fears, the only antidote is the absolute and unflinching trust 
in the sovereign God. Now, while I'm at it, let me tell you something else about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. I already told you there's no such thing as a fearless person. And there is no such thing as a person who is courageous that he doesn't or she doesn't know fear. Courage is the conquering of fear. Can I get a witness? Those who have courage are the ones who know fear, but they've learned by the power of God to overwhelm their fear with courage and faith. And that's precisely the difference here in this chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 17 between King Saul and young David. It's the exact difference. Both men knew fear, but David placed his trust completely in the living God, while Saul placed his trust in his armor. Now, if you're visiting with us, we just started actually last week a new series of messages heart after God. And we are looking at the life of David. And here we're going to see very clearly in chapter 17 that fear can destroy your God-given ability. Fear can destroy your God-given dreams. Fear can destroy your God-given potential to do great things for God. Fear can actually destroy your health. Fear can destroy relationships. And that is why the Lord Jesus repeatedly said, fear not, fear not, fear not. Uh, Fear not life. Why? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Fear not death. Why? Uh, For I am he that liveth, was dead, but behold, I I am alive forevermore. Fear not the unknown. Why? Because I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between. Fear not evil. Why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Fear not life's problems. (laughs) Why? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Fear not what others can do to you. Why? Because in God I put my trust. Therefore, I will not fear what flesh can do to me. What can man do to me? Amen. In the last... In the last message, I mentioned that there are certain fears that are rational, but there are a lot of fears that are irrational. Remember that, those of you who are here? And I was thinking about irrational fear, and I thought about the man who was flying overseas on a plane. And in that particular part of the world, uh, they experienced really unusual turbulence. I know that from the days I used to travel to Asia a lot, and I know the spot exactly where it is, just to, as you're coming out the coast of Japan. I mean, the plane goes like a cork on the water. Uh, and I remember the first time I was confessing sins I've never committed. <laughs> I thought that was it. But then I realized uh, that this is normal in that particular spot. And so one of those times this plane was experiencing this unusual turbulence. A man in the back was absolutely freaking out. I mean, he was not just freaking out. He was freaking out the entire passenger, uh, passenger list, uh, the passengers on that same plane. 
And no matter how much the flight attendant tried to assure him, sir, this is normal in this part of the world as we fly over that sector. That's normal. That happens all the time. But you'll be okay. He would not listen. He was continuing to freak out. So the captain comes in all the way back, and he starts talking to him, reasoning with him. And he said to him, sir, are you a religious man? And I said, yeah, I'm a Christian believer. He said, great. So you know that you cannot die until your number is up. And the man looked at him and said, I'm not worried about my number being up. I'm worried about your number being up. <laughs> yeah, courageous guy. Let me remind you, in the last message of 1 Samuel chapter 16, we saw the young 16-year-old David anointed with oil to be the future king of Israel. He also entered into the royal palace to be an artist in residence, to play the harp for King Saul. Whenever the chief of staff saw the president going crazy, he goes in and brings David, and David plays the harp, and it calms him down. 1 Samuel 17, 15, we are told that David held two jobs. See it there in your Bible. He held two jobs. Uh, David, uh, when he was not performing for King Saul, he was out feeding his father's sheep. For four years, he kept going between the family farm and the king's palace. The family farm and the king's palace. Now that he's 21, he shows up on the scene. His father sends him to take some provisions for his older brothers. So he's coming on a mission to help. He's providing. He's not there to be a spectator. He was there to do something in helping his brothers in their fight against the Philistines. And then he finds them absolutely terrified, and they were shivering in their sandals. Let me tell you a couple of things about the Philistines you need to know. They worshipped a god named Dagon. Uh, Dagon was the god of the crops. But they also worshipped the feminine or female uh, uh, counterpart, uh, the goddess Ashtar. Ashtar was the moon goddess. Now, I want to show you how close the Philistines were to Israel. As you look on the map, you see they were neighbors. See Gath? This is Philistia, Israel up there, Philistia down there, which today we call the modern Gaza Strip. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Philistines were the source of pain, aggravation, suffering, grief to the people of God. You know why? Because of their disobedience. You see, there remained to be a dagger in the side of Israel for all of its history because of their Israelis, Israelites' disobedience. Let me explain this to you. When Israel People of Israel came out of Egypt, the land of the slavery. We're in the wilderness for 40 years. Then they go into the promised land. God says to them, when you get into the promised land, there are wicked people. There are evil people. There are people who are absolutely so wicked that they do not deserve to even live on the face of the earth, just like God did with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, when you go into the promised land, wipe them out. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And so, 
they experience that pain for the rest of their existence. Now, listen, listen, to, listen to me. I know, I know, I know. Some of you are already bristling. I, I can tell this. Because you, get, you need to understand something here in this age of political correctness and tolerance. Are you with me? <laughs> One way or another, God will, not may, God will judge evil. I don't care what Dr. Smellfungus is saying. God will judge evil. Now, the instrument that God uses in judging evil is immaterial. The instrument really doesn't matter. It is God's judgment that He's bringing upon wickedness and evil people, and He will do it again. That's what the day of judgment is all about. In a day when preachers telling you everybody's going to make it to heaven, nobody's going to go to hell, I'm telling you God would not be true to Himself if He does not judge evil. He will judge evil. In this case, He wanted the people of Israel to be the instrument of His judgment of these evil, wicked worshipers of false gods. But they didn't do it. And so they remained as a source of pain, sorrow, and grief for Israel for the remaining years. These Philistines had a national hero by the name of Goliath. Listen carefully. There's something I'm going to tell you about Goliath that you're not going to hear anywhere else except from me. Okay? So do with, with it whatever you want, <laughs> because you're only going to hear it from me. So let me tell you about Goliath. He was a huge man. You have an idea of his size. And about say over nine feet tall. Even the crumbly boys can't match up with that. <laughs> when Goliath attended Gath High School, he always won the national trophies. Now, I told you, you're not going to hear that from anywhere else. You're going to only hear it from me. By being nine foot tall, 350 pounds, he would make, actually, Shaquille O'Neal look like a midget. Just think about this. After high school, he won a full scholarship to Ashdod University, where he actually played for the NCAA final. Every year, won. You see, when you think about it, that from the top of his head to the rim of the basketball uh, basket, seven inches. He doesn't have to run. He just puts the ball over the... That's all he did. Furthermore, during the off-season when all the other athletes were resting, he was playing football. The off-season of basketball, he's playing football. He said, Michael, how do you know he played football? Well, look at it, verse 5. He wore a bronze helmet. <laughs> now, he would have been a nightmare to have you as your blocking assignment. <laughs> After college, Goliath signed up for $20 million to play for the Philistine Celtics. The all Philistines to me, but this was the Philistine Celtics. Uh, this was the case, of course, until he was drafted in the military. And he got drafted in the military. All of that came to 
a son. In the military, he became a military hero for the Philistines. I mean General Patton, MacArthur, Chukov, uh, uh, Schwarzkopf, uh, they would actually can hold a candle to this guy. Uh, his hometown of Gath was 12 miles from the, uh, uh, the, the valley of Elah where, where they were fighting. And he would jog home just for lunch and for a warm-up and come back. 12 miles. Verses 5 and 6. You're going to find a description of his uniform. His coat weighed 120 pounds. His legs were covered with greaves, uh, greaves uh, of bronze. Verse 7. Uh, the iron point uh, of his spear shaft was 17 pounds. Imagine carrying that thing. Verse 8. Here's a verse 8. If you got your Bibles, underline it. I want you to mark it. It's very important. Remember it and don't ever forget it. Here's what Goliath said. Why do you come out and line up in bat for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, are you not the servants of Saul? Oh, how painful that is. I hope you can get the feeling. Just get the meaning of the word. Are you not the servants of Saul? Remember from the last message, the people of God rejected the kingship of Yahweh and wanted an earthly king, and God gave them the desire of their heart. Be very careful what you pray for. And when that happened, their uniqueness as the servants of the living God, as the army of the living God, as the, as, as, as the children of Israel was no longer true. Their representation of Yahweh has been replaced by being servants of Saul. They are now the army of Saul, the servant of Saul, not the army of the living God. My beloved, beloved, beloved friend, just listen to me. It's enough to make you weep day and night of what is happening to the church of Jesus Christ. We have ceased to be the army of the living God. Every time you find yourself in a spiritual defeat, it is because you have replaced the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life with someone or something else. Take it from me experientially. Every time you find yourself in a spiritual doldrum, it is because you replace Jesus as the king of your life with something, someone or something else. Every time you find yourself in a spiritual disarray, it's because your life's priorities have been turned upside down, selfish ambitions on the top, Jesus at the bottom. Oh, but wait a minute. It gets worse. <laughs> Have I depressed you already? No. Let's wait. There's, a little, there's more before I bring you the good news. <laughs> there's more. It gets worse for Saul and for his army. Goliath got so belligerent that in verse 10 and, and, and several times in this chapter, use the word defy. 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 I don't know about you, but listen, this is my testimony, and I am responsible for it. In any area in my life where the Spirit of God does not rule supreme, the enemy of my soul defies me constantly. Verse 11, when Saul and all of Israel 
heard these words, they trembled in their phobophobia. What about Saul? What about Saul? He had more military experience than anybody else. Uh, he was six foot ten. Uh, he uh, was the only one in Israel who had armor. The others did not have it. And was king. He was king. He was representing the living God among the people. Oh, dear God, have mercy. Please hear me right on this one. All of that means nothing when the Spirit of God is not leading you. All of that means nothing if you are operating your life based on the external assets and liabilities. All of that means nothing if you are constantly comparing yourself with somebody else. Saul whips up his yellow pad, the royal yellow pad, and he divided it into two sections, and he would write assets, liabilities, assets. Goliath is over nine feet. I, six, nine, six, ten. He's got big, heavy armor. There's no compa- I can't compare it with the armor I've got. Every time he counts his assets and liability, he comes out short. <laughs> under assets and under liabilities, he says, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. I can't do this. Every time, poor soul whips up his calculator. And he starts counting. He realizes it's just not adding up. Now, my beloved congregation know this. Whenever I testify to you, it is to the glory of God only. If it is not, I don't even share it. But I'm going to share this personal experience to let you know that even as your pastor, I know this temptation of sitting down and figuring out your assets and your liabilities. I know the temptation. Back in 1969, I looked at my assets, looked at my liabilities. Now, most people in running a race, they start at the starting line, right? Right? Have I lost you? Hello? They started the starting line. I was two miles behind the starting line. I'm in a foreign land, holding in my hand what would be equivalent to today's money, $7,000 in debt. Just started a job. To make things worse, I couldn't put two sentences together. Now, you know if you're going to be a preacher, <laughs> you at least got to be two sentences together, right? So I knew I'm in trouble. God called me to preach, but there's no way I could preach. 
That's my liabilities. And because I escaped the country of my birth without saying goodbye to the dictator at the time, back in the 60s, I couldn't get my um, academic transcripts, meager as they were. <laughs> my temptation was to sit down and list my assets and my liabilities, and I promise you, had I fallen in that temptation, I wouldn't be standing before you today. And possibly would be no church of the apostles leading the way or kingdom set. Had I walked in fear and not in faith and trust in the living God, that God is mightier than all of my problems, had I walked by sight and not by faith in the power of the living God, had I lived by the human calculation, had I took counsel of my fears, had I lived by the secular mindset, I wouldn't have had the honor of being your pastor today. That happened again and again and again and again. Furthermore, I wouldn't have honored the God that who knows every one of us by name, and he knows everything that is to be known about each one of us. I wouldn't have honored him. Listen to me. The reason there are so many people do not tithe their income or their money and do not give over and above the tithe is because of fear. They are fearful lest the God who had provided for them in the past will not provide for the future. Test me on that. Can I ask you a genuine question? I pray that you would give yourself a genuine answer. Don't give it to me. How different would your life be if there were no Holy Spirit? Please, answer it to yourself, not to anybody else. You see, too many Christians in our day, to whom the Holy Spirit makes any, no difference. They live in the natural realm. They think in the natural realm. They operate in the natural realm. They function in the natural realm, and they run their businesses in the natural realm. They say, Michael, well, this is just the way the world is. Really? But I have a God who said, He who is in you is greater than He is in the world. It's no wonder that the moment, the very moment, a giant pops up in our lives, we run and scurry in fear. This is Saul's phobophobia. He quenched the Holy Spirit and would not live by and in the power of the Holy Spirit. He placed his trust in his past successes. He ultimately allow the Holy Spirit to grieve and, 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 and stay out in a corner. And as always the case, trust me, always the case, when the Holy Spirit is grieved or quenched, the spirit of fear comes in and takes his place. Ah, but then David shows up. He shows up to just bring food for his brothers. He comes in and he sees this gorilla defying the living God, and he got livid. He got livid. I mean, here's a use of translation. He said, who is this twit <laughs> who thinks that he can defy the armies of the living God? Remember this. By the time David shows up, this shenanigan has been going on for 40 days. 40 days. In fact... 
it went so long that international crisis intensified. And all the network cameras do, they come up in the morning and they cover Goliath as defying and threatening. They go to the bars. That's what I've seen him overseas. Uh, as soon as he comes out, get the cameras on the guy, back to the bars. Some of them are fine, but I think today the press think that they are gods, sadly. I'm all for the freedom of the press. I'm going to move on <laughs> because I know the temptation. <laughs> I think this was this kind of made for television, don't you think? You know, this guy coming out there, coming out every morning and every evening, and the camera's rolling. He's defying the living God, and all the reporters say, oh, this is going to be the mother of all battles. We need to impeach Saul. Right. <laughs> Back to the bars. <laughs> Question. Why didn't God send David on the second day? Seventh day? Twentieth day? Why? Why doesn't God answer your prayer the moment you ask? Why? Beloved, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I want to answer it. God often, I'm not saying always, often wants us to exhaust our resources. God often wants us to come to the end of ourselves. God often wants us to do things that he wants to do things in such a way that nobody can say, God and I did it. There are some people even don't give God the credit. Even they cry their eyes out and ask God to, and the moment God answers, well, I did it. In fact, David arrives at the 82nd, calculate them, the 82nd appearance of this gorilla, gruesome gorilla. And he sees what's going on, and he runs to his big brothers. Hey, guys. <laughs> Listen, all you older siblings, you'll understand what I'm going to tell you. Uh, if you have a younger sibling who's bugging you and gets in play with your stuff, and you go, man, mom, dad, get him out of here. He's embarrassing me in front of my friends. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, I was that younger brother. <laughs> I know it from the other side, from the other end. I bugged my older brothers. <laughs> I was so cocky. Know it all. And God had to humble me. Real good. The older brothers must have felt embarrassed in front of all their friends and other military guys. And, and this kid brother comes in and he's showing them up. <laughs> Think about this. Go away, David. Go away, boy. Go away. You're embarrassing me. Here's a Yusuf translation. What are you doing here, you little brat? <laughs> that's, that's actually in Hebrew, but you don't. You'll get the translation. <laughs> you notice they accused him of being arrogant. You notice that? Just look at it in the Scripture. It never fails. The weak person sees you as weak. The arrogant person sees you as arrogant. The distrustful person sees, doesn't trust anybody. Often we judge people 
with our own motives. Charles Spurgeon puts it best. That man was a wordsmith. He said, we often measure other people's wheat with the measurements we keep at home. Back in the old days, dishonest merchants put a false bottom in the measurements, so they're basically being dishonest. And he said, we measure other people's wheat with the measurement. If our measurements are dishonest, we treat people like being dishonest. I need to move on again. David asked three times, just in this chapter, uh, and actually next, what is the reward for the one who kills Goliath? And three times they tell him, marrying the king's daughter, his family will get a tax holiday, and then actually going to get a fortune. Now there are some who have concluded that because David asked that question three times, it's because he was only interested in the reward. But the text absolutely makes that to be a false assumption. The text makes it very clear that David loved God so much that he was broken inside when he heard the name of his God being insulted. Not like today. We sit and laugh when our name of, name of our God is insulted. David felt that this is even worse than insulting your own mother. David revered and honored the Lord so much that he could not stand to hear this blasphemy of the great name of our God. In fact, that is one of the motivation that caused David to forego his fears. This was enough for him to risk everything. This was enough for him to defeat his fears by faith in the living God. Here's something I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to forget this. It's very important. David arrives from the shepherd's fields, from the work of a shepherd, where he often spent time in intimacy with God, praying, singing, writing psalms. That's what's happening when he was doing the she- working with the sheep. He sung, he wrote hymns, he wrote psalms, he praised God, he worshiped God. And so he comes in from that posture of praise and worship and adoration and power into this situation. Had David been in the midst of this fear-feeding frenzy, he would not have reacted this way. Because fear is contagious, remember? contagious. Had he been sitting there watching the news all the time and getting depressed over what's happening, this gorilla would have frightened him too. No. He was in the presence of his glorious God, and he came down being filled with the power of God to face this giant. John Knox a reformer who was despised by Queen Mary of Scotland. That's why they called her Bloody Mary, because she really shed a lot of blood. And, he, and she despised him. One morning he was walking to see her in the court. 
And her courtiers said to him, John, don't go today, not now. To quote their words, she is in a foul mood. And John kept walking. And he said, how can I fear a queen when I spent three hours with the king of kings? <laughs> Glory to God. David gives all his testimony, experience of the power of God. As a young boy, with his bare hands, he taught a lion and a, and a, and a bear. Now you can be absolutely sure that the very God who did this in his past is going to do it now. Beloved, that's a lesson so many of us forget. I know that. I know it experientially. We forget this important lesson. Why is the God who did what he did in the past is going to drop you now? Poor old Saul. He's still not getting it. He's still not getting it. He insisted that David puts on his armor. You know, I thought about this long and hard. If that was me, here's how I'd have reacted. King Saul, if that piece of junk didn't do you any good, <laughs> why do you think it's going to help me? No, but that's me. David didn't say that. He was too polite. As if to say to the king, Hey, king, I have an invisible armor. Hey, king. I have spiritual power. Hey, king, I have the spirit of the living God. Hey, king, I have the only one who is truly the source of victory, and his name is Yahweh. Verse 40, David picks up five stones. I'm only picking the highlights. I'm not dwelling on everything, but those are the important things I want to show you. Five stones, sling, and a staff. And he gets so close to Goliath that he can see his eyeballs. Let me stop here and tell you that the critics, Bible critics say, the reason he had five stones, not just one, because he really wasn't sure if one would work. It's absolute false. Absolute false. I'll tell you why there were five. In 2 Samuel 21, 22, easy to remember. 2 Samuel 21, 22, say it with me. 2 Samuel 21, 22, very easy to remember. There were four sons of Goliath standing up on the hill. And he was prepared for them. <laughs> In case any of them come down and try to take the daddy's place, he was, he was getting ready to whip them. He got one for each. That's why. It's not faltering. His faith was not faltering. Amazing what these people can find to criticize in the Scripture. Now, when he gets so close to Goliath, they, they, they tell me in the medical world, because of his size and everything else, he had a very poor eyesight. But I don't know that for a fact. But he, he kind of looks at David, and he cannot see the sling or the stones. All he can see is the stick. And he said, what? Am I a dog? You're coming after me with a stick? And then he mocks the living God one more time. And David said, you may have the trappings of your armor, but I come upon you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Say it with me. I come upon you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Say it again. I come upon you. And the next thing you hear David say, 
I want to ask you this as I bring this to conclusion today. We're going to say more in the next message. I want to ask you, would you stand up? Stand up with me. See, I'm not the only one standing up. We're all standing up. The ground level at the foot of the cross. What kind of fear that is haunting you today? You're the only one who can answer that question. Nobody can answer it for you, or you cannot answer it to somebody else. What kind of anxiety that seems to be possessing you? What kind of worry that seems to keep you up all night? Only you can answer that question. And whatever kind of phobia you are nursing, I want you to say with me. I come upon you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Let's do it together. I come upon you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then I want to do it again tomorrow and the day after and the day after. And don't stop. Father, in the name of Jesus, you're the searcher of every heart. You know who we are. You know our thoughts before we think them. You're omnipresent. You're omniscient. You're the God of power and might. You're the God who longed, as John said in that video, to see your children living the abundant life, not the defeated life. And Lord, I pray if there's a person here who has not come to know Jesus and the power of His resurrection, this will be the day. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that everyone who knows you and loves you learn to walk in victory and not in defeat. And all of God's people said, Amen. Hit it, Paul.